0: Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who made a huge change in his career after talking to Jonathan Winters on a sidewalk. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay, me! Yay, me without headphones! Yay, me! Uh, As I put these on, I'm going to quickly tell the Jonathan Winters story because... Weirdly, it was sort of a life-changing moment in my career. So I'm um, walking down the uh, street in Santa Barbara and I see Jonathan Winters. And I want to ask my guest later, who I'll introduce Danielle later, but I I do want to ask her later. Let's remember this. Like, what do you do when you see famous people? Like people who like really – made an influence and a difference in your life and they're by themselves. They're not at a restaurant. You're not interested. Anyway, I want to talk to you about that too. But so I'm walking down the sidewalk <clears throat> and there are two people on the sidewalk. It's me and Jonathan Winners. And it's like, oh my God, it's Jonathan Winters. And I knew some people who knew him. So I just said, hey Mr. Winners, it's uh my name's Tim Stack. I'm friends with Mary McLaughlin, was the person I knew in common. I just thank you so much for everything. Just that's that's usually my go-to thing which is, thank you so much for everything, because, you know, I said it once to Frank Sinatra. It's like, you know, because they don't really want to hear other than that from you. So I see him, but it's just the opposite with Jonathan Winters. He starts talking. He's asking me a little bit about me, but he's basically doing an hour's routine on a sidewalk in Santa Barbara, and it's just the two of us. And what's coming out of his mouth is a combination of insanity, like I have no idea what he's talking about. 9% of it was incredibly funny, like crying, I'm crying on the sidewalk, I'm laughing so hard. And 1% of it was brilliant. But half of the one whatever percentage of the 1%, he said to me, which I really found astounding was, If I had to do it all over again, I would do one thing. And I said, what do you mean by that? You're the king of characters. And at this point in my life, I tried so desperately to get on Saturday Night Live and the Groundlings and doing characters. And he said to me, find one thing you do really, really well and do it. And it really hit me. And after that is when I started developing Nightstand with Dick Dietrich which was my first TV show, because I realized what I do really well are play idiots. And in this case, the idiot was a talk show host. So that I thank it all to uh, Jonathan Winters just walking down the sidewalk one day. I mean, the legend, and he was really super helpful. So anyway, that's enough about me and Jonathan Winters. Let's introduce our guest. We got a clip to play her in, and then we'll get the drum roll.
1: Tim Stack, Tim Stack, set him on fire, set him on fire, watch him burn to death. Tim Stack, Tim Stack, set him on fire, set him on fire, watch him burn to death. Tim Stack.
0: Okay, Danielle Sanchez Witzel is a comedy writer and producer. She co created the series Survival of of the Thickest survival of the thickest which will premiere the this summer in july 2023 we're going to talk about that she's also part of the broadway team that developed the hulu romantic comedy and musical up here which i'm i want to talk about because i didn't even know about that which is i know
2: how do you know how do you know anything streaming It's that this is part of maybe this is you know part of the problem right
0: <laughs> yeah no i think it is and it's like One of my really, really good friends did this show and I didn't know about it. Anyway, she also served as a showrunner for three seasons on the Carmichael show. She worked on My Name is Earl. That's where we met. We're going to talk about that. She worked on the Millers, uh, but we didn't get to work together on that. That was a problem. And currently she is on the negotiating committee. If for the WGA and the Writers Guild strike against the producers, uh, against the studios and the streamers and all that. Anyway, please welcome a really good friend and a really talented person, Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. Yay!
1: Thank
2: you so much. I have to say, I don't think you know this, Tim, how often I walk around my house. Singing, Tim Stacks, Tim Stacks, set him on fire, set him on fire, watch him burn to death. But to this day, which was a song, obviously, from My Name is Earl that we lovingly wrote for some reason. I don't even remember why we had Ethan's character sing sing that about you, but we I, did.
0: I, I don't either, but I'm th- I'm 99% sure that you came up with that. And also, I think you came up with TV's Tim Stack
2: did I I, I want to take credit I, all I, sw- of it I and, swear and I that guarantee did. whatever writer actually did is going to let us both know immediately <laughs> upon hearing <laughs> no. this that it was not me at all but that was such a talented staff and it was obviously a delight one of one of my delights to get to meet you and work with you both as a writer and, and as an actor so that was a four years of really that was family that was truly family on that show so
0: yeah it I'm was just so here. much fun i tried to describe that that room to people and it's just uh you know there were and there weren't as there wasn't a lot of drama there was a little drama along the way but there were just so many laughs in that oh, was, room yeah
2: constant. i mean there there was a little uh strike back then too right in the middle of right in the middle of that show There years was ago, a strike. So.
0: I, I want to talk about the strike. Can we delay that till sure. let's get through all the fun stuff. Sure. And then we can talk about the strike. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh yeah so we so we met on my name is Earl, and I'm convinced you came up with uh TV's Tim Stack. But first of all let's talk about cuz I always ask people this. I'm it's always how to me, the most interesting thing is how you got started. Just, and I know you've talked about this before and other stuff, but I just always find it really interesting how people made the leap and, and somehow got working.
2: Yeah, I mean, someone has to tell you, right, unless you're a, a Nepo baby, as we call them now, someone has to tell you that this is a career like that this is a field that you can get into. My parents grew up in uh, East L.A., which is, you know, just a couple of miles from Hollywood, but couldn't be it's a world, you know, a world away com- you know, complete difference. I grew up um, watching TV nonstop. So we watched TV. I watched it while I did my homework. We watched it, you know, we're a huge sports family, but also scripted. And it was the heyday of comedies. 80s Cheers is my all time favorite show. And so I you know i i grew up watching these things seeing all of these names you know scroll by you know but not understanding that that someone could actually go be a television writer so for me my start comes from being a nerd um in school so you know my I want to talk about
0: that too. Keep going. Being a
2: nerd? Yes cuz you can speak you can speak on that. But you know i was really lucky my parents my mom and dad um uh Set the goal for my sisters and I have three older sisters that to wake up every day and love what you do, which is just the greatest gift I think parents can can give. Um, My dad had a job he hated and he did it for 30 years so my sisters and I could go. He felt like education was the key to everything. Do you need a degree to be a television writer? You do not. Do you need two degrees? For sure you don't. And I would get made fun of for that. But so I did. Because you also
0: you're a graduate of Stanford.
2: Stanford I did undergrad at Stanford and there was a little bit, you know of of film, but I, I I majored in communications there thinking I was going to be a sports broadcaster. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and luckily, I had a um an advisor uh, in the communica- in the communications department named Henry Brightrose, who said, you know, when I graduated, I didn't move to, no offense to Iowa if anyone's from Iowa, but I didn't move to a small town, to a small state where you needed to go to try and do minor league baseball and do the things that would have, like, you know, actually made me a sports broadcaster. And so this um, advisor said, um, maybe you want to be behind the camera. And he knew um, a professor by the name of, of Howard Suber, who um, founded the producers program at UCLA, which is the equivalent of the Stark program at USC, but it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's an MFA program. And so So because I'm a nerd, I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to go to Hollywood, I better get another degree um, and and figure it out. Is that necessary? (laughs) It also keeps you off
0: the streets for a couple more years. That was
2: was, it. It it stopped the student loans, which was amazing. I was like, I can defer these. Yeah, let me borrow more money so I can defer (laughs) these loans. Um, So I, you know, I took a. I I was thinking I was going to maybe produce uh, sports themed content so i ended up being a, an assistant to mike tolan who back then was tolan robbins
0: and Can i interrupt was, you for one second yeah because it just remembered this the day. i was talking to somebody uh, i was talking to a guy the other day and i mentioned your name Yeah, and he said oh i know her she's at fox sports and i, I said that was
2: my first job that was my first job ever yeah here and in i LA. said no
0: she's had a little bit of a career since then
2: that's so funny yeah james awesome. mathis
0: said to me... Oh,
2: yeah. I know him from, I know him from Fox Sports. That's, that's what why he said. He, oh,
0: yeah. She's at Fox Sports. I said, now she's moving on. But anyway. But
2: I love that he... First of all, that he remembered me at all. And secondly, I love being known as she's at Fox Sports. I wouldn't have minded. I, some of my best friends... No, it's kind of
0: cool. Yeah. I wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't mind it. So Mike Tolan kind of, you know, so I was like, oh, I think that's what I'm going to do. And then the UCLA... Um, program, the MFA program allowed producers, program students to take courses in other fields of study. So I they opened up a sitcom writing class in the MFA screenwriting program um, taught by a man we both know named Fred Rubin, who changed my whole life um, because you had to write something to get in. And I had always I wrote poetry and I wrote short stories and fun things in college. But I never thought career, even though I doubled in English, I still didn't think like career that was just like a safety mechanism, double majoring in English. And so Fred Rubin taught this this sitcom writing class. And the day I got in, the first day I was like, this is the dream. This is the thing That's my dad so said funny. to work. Because work.
0: it was in your DNA yeah. from watching it Facts doing, of Life and all those shows.
2: I, and also just my family was really loud. best joke won the night. And if you were if, as long as it was funny, if it was mean, it was kind of okay, you know, it was kind of okay. And so I think I had been training to be um, you know, a, a comedy television writer my whole life, and just didn't realize it. I'm the youngest, and so you got to, you know, get your get have your voice heard. And so, so Fred Rubin, which I always tell him at the at in, in the MFA program at UCLA, um, he, you know, that's what changed the trajectory because that's where I even I was even at, in an MFA program not fully thinking about oh, you could write television for a right. living, you know. And so, um, and actually, Andrew Goldberg was in that class who who created Big Mouth on Netflix. So oh, he really. And I, yeah he and i were in that class together and remain friends buddies today but so yeah fred i think launched a lot of careers out of out of teaching at, at ucla
0: yeah he sure did and was an f- unbelievable teacher i mean even yeah. when i worked with him as a writer because that's how i met greg garcia was on the show on our own and met fred rubin yeah. and then he's the one who got me later involved in teaching myself and and but even then on staff his patience There were a lot of writers, like older guys, are like, they have no patience. They don't want it. All they want to do is make fun of the new writers. Yeah.
2: They still exist. That's not used to be. They're still out there.
0: Oh, they're (laughs) out there. And Fred had a little bit of that for people he didn't care for. Yeah. There was one person on the staff who said, like, the guy said something like, shouldn't there be, he was one of those guys, like, shouldn't there be a comma after the word that? And oh, no. Fred Rubin just unloads like, "Oh, what a great pitch! <laughs> yeah, oh, that's going to change everything yeah. because he didn't like that person, sure. uh, but other people he did like. He was so helpful and and uh, the teaching thing. I did want to, because um, it always you've talked about your family and it always and I know I th- I think I mentioned this once to you. let I always thought there was like a Latina Pride and Prejudice thing, like you had. Four yeah. sisters. Yeah, who, three sisters, four three of, sisters, of us total. Four yeah. of us all yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, a yeah. dad who probably and and you're all involved in sports. So you're all yeah. like sports because yeah. your dad was a big sports guy.
2: And my mom too, huge sports fan. Yeah, both.
0: That must yeah. have been so interesting to have four daughters. Yeah, everybody's in sports. I don't know. It's just it's different because usually. Yeah. You know,
2: he, my dad was the youngest of eleven, and so and I. And my grandparents um, came from Mexico when they were teenagers. So my dad was born here in California, and on my mom's side, we go back many generations and actually Southern California. Um, you know, um, yeah, I think you know it's hard to say because. I imagine, you know, did my dad want a boy? Like, you know, he didn't get one, and you know, but we had such an amazing childhood growing up and really happy. um, Even though I said, you know, my dad kind of hated what he did. You know, TV was a huge part of coming home and unwinding together and watching and escaping into all of those shows. Um, And I think my dad, you know, he probably did give us what someone would call male, you know, some male traits. I think that gender is completely um has changed and is being erased in wonderful ways i think with the next generations coming up but i think that people would say you know sports and you know that kind of thing um he taught us that volume wins arguments which i think you know sometimes comes in handy when when you're in a room when you're in a room
0: (laughs) that wouldn't Um, have worked in my house
2: yeah there was no I think growing up with my dad and kind of the way he he and my mom, they they were just a really nice counterbalance to each other. But um, I've never been intimidated by anybody in Hollywood because no one was more intimidating than my dad. So, again, I think that he was training us to some degree uh, for, you know, for this. That's so funny because
0: I'm just I was so intimidated by my dad. But if I went into a meeting, I would be so afraid and so nervous. Yeah. And yet you don't. You had the opposite way to go. Yeah. That's what um, he wanted out of us, I think. That's great. We're going to take our first break. We have advertisers on this show. So far you haven't cursed. I should have mentioned that too that oh. we're a PG show.
2: Okay, I will tr- I'll try to keep no, you've it in been mind.
0: great so far. Um, <laughs> Richard doesn't have to go back and, and 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 change everything. So I'm talking to Danielle Sanchez Witzel. Uh she has two shows. The the one on Hulu right now called Up Here. That's running yes. on Hulu right now, and her new show, Survival of the Thickest, premieres I think July fifteenth. Thirteenth, I think. July thirteenth yeah. on Netflix, which I we're going to show a clip of, and I got to watch some. Oh. It looks really good. That actress looks really. She's funny. amazing. She's amazing. Like, I didn't know anything about it, and I watched her, and I thought, oh man, she's the real deal. This. The star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you? Uh, you're not on Twitter anymore, right?
2: I got off of Twitter. I, I, I have an account just for for strike business, which I know you want to hold, hold off on. But yeah, I'm not I'm not on Twitter uh, other than kind of strike. Okay. Strike.
0: Okay, we're going to take our first break. Talking to Danielle Sanchez-Witzel, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel, I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in Episode 3. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hey, uh, you're listening. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm back with Daniel Sanchez-Witzel. That was the theme to My Name is Earl, which is the show we met on. Were you, you were leaving that last year, right? Of My Name is Earl. You had an overall deal you were going to, correct? Like everybody thought we were coming. What well, This is what I remember. Yeah. Everybody yeah, thought was, we were coming back, but you you had gotten an overall deal
2: yeah i was i mean we never nothing ever i mean that that whole thing was such a shock the fact that there wasn't another season of that show i had yes i had an overall deal and i who who knows what i don't know what would have happened? You know, honestly, I mean, I, I think um, I was going to go over to Universal and um, or whatever it was called. I think it, I, that was back when NBC Studios kept renaming themselves and calling themselves different things. And right. so I, I honestly I think they were called NBC Studios back then. Wasn't there a time they were called N.U.T.S.? They thought that'd be cute. Uh, no, NBC no, Universal Television Studios. Nuts. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it might have been in that era. But anyway, yeah, but, you know, Ur- my name is Earl and working for working with Greg Garcia was, you know, definitely changed my career. It changed my career. I mean, that that show I was desperate to get on. I read that pilot back when there were pilots that writers would read and then try and, you know, the yes. business changed so much. But. You know, they would make a x number of shows and I, you know, um, pilots and then uh, turn those into series. And I remember reading that pilot and just telling my agents at UTA, I'm like, I have to get on the show. I have to get on the show. Who do we know that knows Greg Garcia? And the person I knew was Fred Rubin. Right. And I called Fred Rubin and they said, please, you have to introduce me to Greg or you have to tell him, you know, that I know what I'm doing or, you know, please. I, I was coming off of... Um, I had just done a season of George, the George Lopez show. And so, um, and then I I remember I was at the, I just happened to go with my best friend to the final Four that year and heard that Greg was going to be there because he had a affiliation. I didn't know the story. Yeah. And yeah. So I heard that Greg was going to be there. And so I, I just walked around all of the parties going, do you know, Greg Greg Garcia, do you know Greg Garcia? Garcia?" And I didn't find him, but we were there. And I think Mike Penny was there that year too, with Greg, another Earl writer and I didn't find him, but through Fred, you know, and and I think my writing sample, maybe it was Alfred, I don't know, but I did end up getting to meet Greg and then the rest is history as they say.
0: Let's talk about him for a second because we're both still really good friends with him yeah. and and I've gotten to work for him even more recent than you did on the Millers but I, I want to ask you, are you, like, part of me working with him, it's part just so much fun because he makes yeah. it so much fun but are you also sort of astounded, this is going to sound really kissy kissy. you know what Um, but I don't mean it to be. Yeah. Are you kind of astounded by his talent? Like, out of this little... And, and he set such, for me at least, and you've been now, you've gone and run two shows. Yeah. Is it always sort of like, what would Greg do?
2: No, like he's definitely, I mean, he, he's a friend. I was, I was trying to decide a friend for first mentor second i don't think it matters i don't think it, it's not a contest it's all greg yeah. you know he's yeah. a friend and mentor and so i've leaned on him heavily many times in my career um reached out to him and needed advice and actually needed help in one situation where i was dealing with making a pilot um and my mom was sick i don't know if you know this but
0: yeah i didn't i did know this yeah, but-
2: I, I get i feel a little overwhelmed even talking about it but um, he came and helped me with that. So he's, he's just a, you know, yes, I think about what would Greg do because Greg is the person that I quote him all the time when I'm talking to people who want to be showrunners or are new showrunners, or I'm trying to help talk about, it's a very weird thing to do. It's like, it's such a showrunning, It's such like a made up thing. We're writers. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we're managers, but Greg told me very early on, on the Carmichael show, he's like, they just want a general. They just want a general. They just want to know that, they have put their show in competent hands and to, you know, the hands of somebody who can make a decision. And, and, and he's like, even if you make the wrong decision, no one needs to know the next day, you can correct it. There's so many swipes at this thing. You just need to be general. And it really, like I said, I share that advice and I quote him because it's true about probably 90 percent of the stuff you endeavor and in your life is like, you know, someone just wants to know that, you know, that you know what you want and that you that that they've made a good choice in putting it in your hands or making your show or doing whatever. So that's just one, you know, that's like the big you know, guiding light piece of advice he gave me, but I, I am constantly turning to him um, when I feel like, you know, um, I think I'm constantly turning to him in times that feel troublesome. I mean, maybe I should call him every once in a while when things are going well and be like, you know, I could credit you a little bit with like this going well, but um, I seem to call him anytime I'm in crisis, which is a lot when you're running a show. And he's always, yeah, I mean, he's wildly talented. And um, I don't think what you're saying, anything that you're saying is untrue about him because he's had a show on the air for. I don't I mean, I don't even know the numbers, maybe 20 years, 22 years. Like, I mean, it's like now. like it's 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 incri- it's incredible. So that kind of success, we know how hard this job is it's really hard to, to get television shows made. It's really hard to keep them on the air. And he's done it time and time and time and time again.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the general thing, because I always like and I mention this, too, when I teach at, at UCLA is is I they never read it. I always suggest they read it, but they never listen to anything I say. Um, But there's the the book, you know the movie The Player? Uh Uh-huh. You know the book? Have you ever read the book The Player? No. It's fantastic. The same guy wrote the screenplay, Michael Tolkien. But the book is so fantastic because it's told from the studio executive's point of view and he's listening to pitches and these horrible thoughts, like, I could change this person's life. But what really comes through is... And this goes to the general thing is these executives, they are like the worst thing that can happen is them losing their job because they are losing their salary and all the perks that go with it. And this was even more true, you know, 20 years ago when like Hollywood was a little more glitzy than it is now. Um, But they're so desperate that the general thing makes perfect sense. Like they don't because they're worrying about themselves. They want to remove that worry, you know, whatever they can do to do that. So um, here's a question that I wanted to ask you. If you're looking back, was there like what the most thrilling moment in your career? Does anything pop into your brain like uh, like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. I did this.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, so many. I mean, there's too many like to to count, which is why, again, I go back to the blessing that my parents gave me of saying, wake up every day and love what you do. This is an amazing job. It's so amazing that David Zaslav thinks what's going to bring us back to work is the love of the job. Um, It's not that amazing, but it isn't. But it is amazing. It's an amazing job. And, you know, I remember the first time I wrote a script, which was on a show called The In-Laws. Yeah. Um,
0: Was that based uh, on the movie?
2: No, but it was, it was around the same, it was around the same time. And so I think there was a lot of, yeah, it was like a a little bit of, um, anyway, uh, and I just remember saying that like someone was wearing a yellow dress and then all of a sudden there were like three yellow dresses there, you know, and it was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I mean, and then that cast Jean Smart was the Jean Smart was the mom of that um, and that cast. So to work with someone that great, like that early on in my career was it was incredible. But, you know, just the idea that what I think of back then, I was living in an apartment, what I think of in my apartment, what I write into the script. You know, obviously it's collaborative, but there are certain things that are yours that are going to get in that are then. All these talented people are going to take and run with like that first realization on that first script was really, you know, just incredible to be like, oh, this is going to come to life and then it's going to air on TV. And, you know, so just understanding what that was going to be, um, you know, I, I definitely had I've had those moments probably on every show I've ever been on just because there's something special it's hard to make a good show. It's just as hard to make a bad show. You know what I mean? You know, whatever, quote unquote, good, bad, something that does well and gets a second season in terms of ratings or something that doesn't. And, you know, especially in this world of streaming, it's like, how does anything get a second season? It's crazy um, to try and figure that formula out. But, you know, so, so there's always something to be proud of with every show. Um, I, I definitely feel like the first episode I wrote of My Name is Earl was, was you know, it was really. Oh, funny. that
0: was a really good one. It was. Uh, and what's her name yeah. was the guest star? broke R- uh, Joy's
2: Fancy Figurine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Missy Pyle was the was the. Yes, and, yes, and, yes.
0: And I think and that's remember, where TV's the, Tim Stack came through because I played the, uh, the host. Oh, the
2: announcer on that. And you know who the daughter was on that? Chloe Moretz who's now very, really a big star. And I remember thinking, I don't know what she was, seven years old, maybe. And I remember thinking when we cast her, like this, this girl is amazing. Like, she's so amazing. Go back and watch it. You'll see yeah. her It's season one. Yeah, Brooke Joy's fancy figurine. So I I had a great deal of pride because I love that show so much. And I think pre-production on that show went so smoothly and was really, like, everyone was so talented on that staff. And so I think everyone was just, that, that was a really thrilling, like, that first season of the, every season was fun. But that first episode of that first season was a really thrilling moment. And I think running the Carmichael show, like, just successfully running a show for three seasons. I remember when that wraps, that was a really hard show to make just feeling a great amount of pride that I survived and that I was proud of the episodes I made. So, I mean, so many times you have that feeling and what a, what a gift to be able to have that feeling in career, you know?
0: You mentioned in that uh, second season, I was hearkening back to like thrills for me was, um, us getting the order for the second season of nightstand. I remember I was on the kitchen wall phone. Remember those? I was on the kitchen wall phone talking to the executive and he told me we're picked up. And as he's, he's telling me how it's going to go down and I start crying. And my wife, Jana, who you know, is watching me and she hasn't, she's never seen me cry, but I'm crying because it's so difficult sometimes to get a second season. It's one thing to get a pilot. But yeah. then to get a second season means, oh my gosh, this thing actually worked, what you contributed to. So so how are we doing on time, Richard, Dr. D? We got, okay. Is there a the opposite? Is there a moment yeah. where it was just like, oh, this is killing me? I can't believe this happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the those moments when you're running a show are <laughs> unfortunately yeah. there, you know, there's a lot. I mean, I think that the interesting thing about um writing and I'm not saying this to to bring up the strike I'm just saying this because I think a light is shining right now on the business of episodic television that has never had to like this discussion hasn't had to happen before which is like how do you make it <laughs> what is the craft you know and I think because for decades we made it a certain way like we did on my name is Earl with a staff that was there for pre-production production post-production you know it like the 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 craft of it all you know um was just a given and now i think we are what i found myself on the negotiating committee and i think what we're doing now as a union as a whole is we're we're trying to tell the studios how you make this and also that we you write the whole time you know we've never had to have this discussion of writing the whole time and how important that is you know to the to the process um and what we're doing now so this is a a long way to answer your question of, it, you know, I, this Netflix show I made, I needed writers for way longer than I had them and was just flat out told no, or that that's not what Netflix, you can't, you can't okay. have them any longer. Hold, so,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on yeah. to that. Cause that's exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about yeah. the new show in the next yeah. segment. So we'll pick it up okay. there. Okay. okay. Let's take a break. I also, ugh, I forgot to ask you this. You went, did you go to high school with Rachel Maddow? I did. And was she... Was that, did you Google that? Did I tell you? No, you told right? me that. And it was just, oh, yeah. I was remembering in yeah, my she notes. Was, she
2: was my sister's close friend, yeah. Oh,
0: interesting. I, I remember you told me that. Wasn't, yeah. I think, were you the valedictorian like the next year? And she was, did no,
2: you tell she, me that? No, she and my sister, I think were both, or one was valedictorian and one was salutatorian. They both gave speeches at their graduation. Oh, they were two correct. years two years ahead of me. So that's, that's so funny. I remember. The
0: some, I It's for some certain things. Um, anyway, we're going to take another break. Talking to Danielle Sanchez-Witzel, her show Up Here is currently on Hulu. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. And her new show premieres July 13th called Survival of the Thickest, which I saw a trailer for you can see on YouTube. It looks really good and interesting in that actress. Anyway, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. It's TV's Tim Stack and the radio show with him. We'll be right back right after this. Okay, we're back talking to Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. That was a clip from Up Here, which yeah. is a, an original. Okay, you're going to tell us about this. It's on yeah. Hulu. Tell us about this show.
2: I'm happy to. I mean, I'm so proud of that show. So I'm a huge uh, musical theater fan.
0: Have yeah, I didn't know that. I'm till. huge,
2: huge. Love it, love it, love it. Rent changed my world seeing it. Yeah, that was, I'm, the, I'm that cliche, um, you know. Viva La M. But so I was uh, asked to come on board with the most amazing Tony winning, EGOT winning Broadway musical, um, really geniuses, which is not a word that I actually use, except when it feels like you just worked with some and I did. So yes. Stephen Levinson, uh, we co-developed the show and co-wrote the first two episodes and he wrote the book for Dear Evan Hansen and won a Tony for that. Right. Um Tommy Kale, who I had worked how, with once. Or, how did you yeah. get
0: lined up with these people?
2: So I was, it was a deal through it. So I was at 20th. I right. was on a, an overall deal at 20th. And so, so, so was Tommy Kale, who's the director of Hamilton among many other amazing things. And he and I knew each other a little bit, had done a pilot, uh, worked on a pilot together that didn't go a few years ago. So he was the kind of the key piece of going, okay, so it was him. And then the songwriters who create, you know, created this musical 15, 20 years ago, um, Uh, Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson-Lopez, who are the brains behind Frozen and Coco. Oh, yes. I know who they are. Yes, yes, yes. And they're so amazingly talented. They give funny
0: acceptance speeches.
2: They're brilliant. I love like
0: their <laughs> speeches. They're, they're, they've they're, met, and they've accepted quite a few. So I'm uh, sorry. They have accepted
2: quite a few. Bobby is a double egot. So these are like these are amazing, amazing people. And I, that my joke was that like they needed someone who hadn't won a Tony to come be a part of this project. That's so Tommy funny. called me, and was like. um, You know, do you want it? We're trying to figure out. So this was a a musical that Bobby Kristen had written many years ago that they tried to put up on Broadway. It didn't quite work. It was this really cool idea. There's characters in your head up here. Everyone has a musical up here. That's the idea of like all the emotions and the things life might seem like it's, you know, mundane on the outside. But up here, there's this whole musical going on. And, you know, so it was their idea um, but they wanted to try and make it into a television show, so so I came in as the half hour person who had made lots of television to try and figure this out. And so we developed it for two years over COVID, basically all on Zoom. Though you know, so Stephen and I would just stare at each other, and then Bobby and Kristen would come in, and Tommy would come in, and we'd just be like, How are we doing this? What are we doing? What are our head characters? What does that mean? How do you know? And it, it was a really cool, fun process that eventually, um, we ended up with a a mini room that started, meaning we, we weren't sure if they were making it or where they're going to make it or what exactly was going to happen. And then we uh, officially got the order as we were doing that room. But um, two years of just pure joy of trying to learn um, a very, you know, steep curve of like how do Broadway musicals work? Because this show, unlike other great musicals that that have been um, on TV, it operates like a Broadway musical, meaning the song is a story point. You can't if you can remove a song, then that's then that's not that's not a Broadway musical. This is like so it was really, you know, uh, eventually working with a really talented writer's room and Stephen and I and Bob and Kristen and Tommy trying to figure out, okay. How do you break a story that where songs are going to be story points? And, you know, um, through through their kind of brilliance and and our ability to like, you know, have really strong storytellers in that room, we were able to kind of do this and create eight episodes. So each episode is like its own mini musical. And then all eight, you know, kind of string together to make one long musical. So So what came
0: first, the song or the story?
2: So uh, the stories. So, you know, part of what I needed to learn and Stephen was so great. He's so talented. He did Fosse Verdon also with um, Tommy Kale and and many other things for television, too. But, you know, he they taught me um, that the the story has to be the, like the the launch for the song so a character has to be oh, in such okay. a state that all they can do is sing that there's no, emotionally there's nothing else they could possibly do at this moment except sing so that the singing makes sense and so i started really understanding talk about a thrilling moment i can tell you back to your original question i started really understanding oh we're fueling a song we're fueling songs right. here so all those this-
0: musicals you saw are now making sense
2: I mean, I just have I've always had an appreciation for them, but like to understand how hard that is to get the story, to get the characters in the story to do that. The first song um, that was written for that um, show, like I cried when I listened to it because I was like, I I can't believe I was part of something this, you know, this great. like That goes back to the
0: thrilling moment.
2: Yeah, the thrill, it was so thrilling. I mean, I I've, I've never been moved to tears making a television show and maybe like exhaustion tears, but that was just like thrilled tears when I heard yeah, the first song. I was just like, I can't be, I can't believe I'm part yeah. of this. So we're really we're really proud of it. And yeah, it is on Hulu and Okay. Well, I'm watching tonight. Tears. Yeah. Watch uh, them all.
0: I'm going to. And you know who that person I sleep next to loves a good musical. So yeah. that sounds fantastic. So let's move on. Let's play a clip, uh, Dr. D. The clip we pulled from uh survival of the thickest.
1: I'm Mavis Beaumont, and I have a passion for fashion. I uh-huh. hmm That's a little much. I'm overcompensating because I'm nervous. I can slap you if you want. That's a no thank you. Oh, I have crowns and multiple You snatches. got this bitch? You're, You're the boss. Snatch. Now bow down to this queen. I see you, peaches, peaches and earth. Can't believe the skill in my craft Alright. <laughs> I want to dress women and help them love their bodies. Hashtag body positivity. Hashtag work mama. May best. You the best at this. You better start that rumor. Okay.
0: She looks really, really good.
2: That's She's all. amazing. Yeah. So Michelle Bito is the actress's name she's a stand-up comic she wrote a book of essays called survival of the thickest which were based on and we created the show together so this is really she's the she's the muse for the show it's her voice it's her comedy it's her and she has an amazing fan base and um she but she just like the the day we started shooting and i knew it when i met when i met her again all on zoom because she lives in new york and i'm in la both of the last projects i did i don't know that we would have been paired up had it not been for COVID and understanding how much we can actually accomplish on zoom, but, um, she, the first day we started shooting, I was like, she is just a, she is just a superstar. She's like, there are some people you see, you're just like, that's a television star. She's, she's a television star. She hosts uh, the circle for Netflix. She does a lot of things, you know? So I think people know her and and, um, see how talented she is. And she's been in a lot of movies, but you know, always the friend, the, this, the, that she's the star. She is the star. And um, I think people will see
0: absolutely deserves to be the star. She's hilarious. And then what is the premise of the other than her, her essays what's the premise of the show
2: it's it's um so it's it's loosely inspired by her life she's not playing a stand-up she's playing a stylist and you know it's really kind of about life that
0: That she's not playing a standup.
2: yeah no we wanted to we wanted to talk about you know we wanted to talk about um things that that mattered um being a you know being a plus-size woman number one being a black woman you know there are a lot of there are a lot of um you know, there's a lot of underneath to our stories, but ultimately it's about life kind of falling apart in your late 30s. And if you can still set the bar high for yourself when it falls apart, you know, later than you later than you'd hope. Um, so it's it's romantic and it's funny and it's, you know, and it's it is, like I said, loosely based on her life. Um,
0: and, and this we'll talk about more on the other side when we talk about The Strike. But is it a it's, I'm assuming it's a serialized show?
2: Yeah. Yep. Eight episodes for Netflix. And yeah. And this was my first, right. This was my first show. So I can, right. I can finish answering the question about the bad times <laughs> on the other side and attach that to the strike.
0: Um, but is the, is the serialized story? but there's also an episodic feel to it. Well, it's just not a long it's a movie.
2: Comedy. It's a comedy, but you don't want to miss any, you know, there's only eight. So you, you want to see them all. And obviously it's a, there's a, um, there's a storyline and a, and um Yeah. A romance.
0: And yeah. And you went to New York to shoot it. Was that glamorous or was that horrendous? It
2: was not glamorous. Uh, I lived in I was in Brooklyn for three months. So kind of going back to the idea of not having enough staff and, you know, this idea of is television going to be made with staffs or not, which is very much the existential crisis that we're in right now with regard to the strike. I was luckily able to take one very talented writer named Grace Edwards, but I was given a choice of a producing director or a writer. Was who, she Was the, she
0: the was she your assistant at one point? Grace no. Edwards.
2: I didn't know. I didn't know Grace. Oh, no, until not until this. Um, but you know, to choose between t- two jobs that people who do not do the same thing at all—a producing director and a writer. Not, but of course, I picked writer. Thank God. And so it was the two of us and Michelle, who was then you know an actor, and no other writers. Even though I had three writers from that staff pay their own way to Brooklyn to see the show being made because we are not having writers come to sets anymore, even though they're needed, even though, you know, again, these are, this is all fueling the strike, but that was my experience. So I was working seven days a week, 13 hour days with one other writer. There was way too much work still left to do. Michelle was acting and trying to write, you know, and it it was just too much in addition to, you know, everything that production demands. Um, So it was a really, even though I love the show, I love Michelle, I'm super proud of it. I'm not doing any publicity for it which is really hard and and um sad other than being on friends podcasts and talking about it but um (laughs) you know it it's um i'm so proud of it but it it really broke me like i really was unwell i mean i was really unwell making that show and i i just don't think that that is the future of television
0: no it's not supposed to be at the end of the day it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be my name is earl you're supposed to like, can't wait to get into work and see these people I like and pitch jokes with and stories. And some yeah. get on and some don't. But that, that sounds rough. I'm, well. Yeah. But if the show is great.
2: Right. <laughs> and one person kills himself over it, then they, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think that that's the thing, right, is I think we're at a breaking point in our industry where one or, one or two people are being asked to, to do the work of 10. Um, and, you know, we know streaming makes less episodes. We know all of the things that are facts, and those are just facts, and I don't think those facts are changing. But that doesn't mean that the craft, it, you know, completely get, we're going to wipe away all the, you know, all the people that used to do it. We're just going to, Pay one person to do it, or not even pay one person to do it. Uh, we have, you know, we have, okay. yeah, we have people who are working at writer's guild minimum who have created shows because they're being amortized over so, so many weeks. So there's a
0: lot broken with with what we're what we're doing here. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. I'm talking to Daniel Sanchez Witzel. Um, her show "Survival of the Thickest" premieres on Netflix on July 13th, and her other show uh, up here is on Hulu right now. So check them out. Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Tim Stack. And having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends. And you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side? a union song. Pete Seeger. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved it. Um, I think I'm old enough to remember, like, seeing him on the Ed Sullivan show perform that (laughs) song. Like Pete Seeger in a banjo. Um, Anyway, I'm talking to Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. We've talked about her career and her life and all that. But now she is currently on the negotiating committee in the WGA strike against the producers and the studios. and um, Yeah. it's not the producer, is it? The producers, is that it, or is it
2: studios? It's so the, the studios. AMPTP, is yeah. The, who who we were, who we actually negotiate with, and who we were in a in a room with for six weeks, are are lawyers representing every studio. That's who's in the. That's who we talk to at the
0: AMPTP and in how, the initial negotiations. And how many studios are, are? Is it eight? Is that what it is?
2: Um, we have. Well, there are. There are more. I don't know actually how many members of the AMPTP there are because I think there are, uh, you know, smaller entities. But it's like ten. It's it's ten. But we understand how everything's kind of clear, right. We see the vertical integration of what of what is happening, and it is, um, you know, it's affecting our business in terms of.
0: Yeah, the simplest thing, and and this is my third strike, not counting the actors' strike in 1980. Um, and the other two writers' guild strikes, like I got them, but I wasn't really like the DVD thing seemed important, and then it went away. This strike seems incredibly necessary. Like it's literally about survival. It feels yeah. that way to me.
1: And yeah, a lot no, of it is, is about
0: th- the AI thing, which I want to talk about, but a lot of it is just money, the simple, it's all changed so much, so quickly. And there needs to be a recalibration of the entire system. That's my take on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot wrong right now. We could certainly talk about how streaming broke, in which I've hit on a little bit episodic television, but there's a problem for feature writers, too, in terms of... Is it going to be, you know, what their minimums are, needing to pull them up because now all of a sudden there's this other distribution, which is it can stream or it can be theatrical? Well, it's the same. A movie is a movie. What, you know, for a writer, you're doing the same amount of work. So, this right. idea that, um, you know, writers are not being compensated fairly um, for writing features is a huge problem. Also, feature writers have to do, uh, are asked to do so much free work, um, which we were assured in negotiations was actually collaboration. That was the word they used. You know, and then we have um, I want to talk about that
0: word about the DGA too, because I read something about the word collaboration. I interrupted. Sorry.
2: Um, Then we have appendix A writers and that's a a category where we used to refer to Late night writers, daytime writers, game show that you know it's it's kind of everything that isn't episodic or um, feature writers, and they are being asked to work in streaming with no minimums. You know, so there, so there's so streaming came in, and you know Netflix was a big disruptor. So we, you know, we rightly so looked to Netflix to see how did Netflix break the business, and then all the other studios fell all over themselves to to break it (laughs) alongside Netflix for some reason. Um, You know, I think there've been a lot of articles written lately, obviously because of the strike about. You know the the business side of things, but the reality of what we are asking for, which I think it seems like the public understands, or we certainly feel like we have support. We're you know people drive by the picket and are honking, and you know social media, you know, kind of understanding is everything we asked for. Everything we ask for to kind of like give us security and make sure there is a a, a middle class working writer who can make a career, because I think people picture, well, that's you can name five writers that are so rich. And it's like, that's not that's not just like acting. Right. You can name it. That's not what it is. There is a there is a career side of this where people live kind of paycheck to paycheck and, you know, have to make it work and. You might go a whole year without a job or two years without a job. And so that, you know, that it has to sustain you. But everything we asked for was less than two percent of the profits that these studios make just off of film and television, just off of what we do. So when you think about it in those terms, I mean, for me and as someone who's on a negotiating committee, it makes my brain melt that I am going to leave this podcast to go pick it outside of Sony today, because it's like we're having to fight to show are worth to get less than 2% of the profits that they make. So however they broke the business, they're still making money. And we, as does the DJ, as does SAG-AFTRA, as does zayazi as does everybody who works in this industry, needs to get a fair percentage of what they are contributing to make that makes these companies billions of dollars. It's very simple to me.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? I, I, I couldn't agree. And I, I do think people understand that. Yeah. And I think part of the reason they understand it Is because of the word greed, and back when Michael Douglas did Wall Street, greed is good, and that expression for those people has not changed. In fact, it has changed. It's gotten much, much worse. And I know a guy who used to. He was an agent of mine at one time. I'm not going to say his name, but he's one of those guys. And he this quote I did. He didn't hear from him. I'm hearing from somebody else. But they said something like, the system is broken, what you said. And his response was, oh, the system's not broken. The system works just fine. In other words, he makes billions of dollars or hundreds of millions, whatever it is. And I don't care what you guys do, but you're not going to interfere with me. And it used to be millions, and now it's hundreds of millions. Like, when is it not enough for these people to say okay, that's enough. That's enough money for me. And and I think that's what's coming off to people's support for the strike is so many people. I, I that guy's somebody told me that guy Zaslav is like he has these meetings, these Zoom meetings. We were like two thousand people. It's like Love Actually, you know, with the little <laughs> pixelated. Two thousand people, on and, and he he shows up late, and but. He does the Zoom from his—he's holding the phone on his tennis court, and he was late to finish a match on his tennis court in East Hampton. Is it true? I don't know. I'm hearing it from somebody reliable. But my point is, that's the mentality of these people, and it needs to have a reckoning
2: yeah what we know is true of of him specifically is that he paid himself a 250 million dollar salary we know that that's true so the idea that you and i are forced to walk you know the streets outside these studios and and also we know what um Hard, you know, hardship it puts on the town. We know we are keeping people from working right now. It's terribly stressful. It's a huge, um, you know, it weighs very heavy on every writer who is out there walking the picket line. And I know, you know, they've, they've, um, you know, we, we've had some theme pickets and community pickets. And the reason that that is happening is because it's hard to be out there because this is a wildly stressful thing to do. Um, and it, you know, there's something called the entertainment and um, community fund, which is important to talk about, you know, everywhere and to publicize, which is a fund specifically for non WGA members. So it members again? Of our just
0: make it clear
2: entertainment community fund, which is something that was, you know, um, At least the initial push was funded entirely by writers, and I think anyone can donate now, you know. But we are well aware of how hard this is on the town. Is Zaslav is someone who's, you know, taking $250 million, you know, is 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 Disney laying off people thinking about it's all profit, it's all profit margins, you know, and that's a big problem. I was I was walking with um Justine Bateman who has
0: been really She's vocal great. And, she posts yeah, great stuff.
2: Yeah. She has a great social media presence. And we were at Netflix. I introduced myself to her because of course, because it was exciting. It was Justine Bateman. And, but, you know, said I was on the negotiating committee and, um, and she said, when they started calling it content, that's when all of the trouble happened. And I think many people have echoed those sentiments and it's true. You know, it, the idea that it's just, I've never felt more, like I was at a factory than I did at Netflix and I did coming over to Netflix, this idea that we are, you know, just spitting out something that's going to, you know, entertain people for a few hours. And then what, you know, it it is a problem. And we're look, I'm not here. The writer's guild is not here. We're not you, as you know, you and I are members. We're not here to tell anyone how to do their business, but if you're going to spend $19 billion making film and television, which is the amount they were spending this year to make you know shows and and features and things that we don't consider content but we consider crap then you're gonna have to pay everybody a fair share of that so right. you know this idea that we, we can't figure out how to make money they tell us we don't know how to we can't quantify what how how to pay the residuals and what it is and we can't really be transparent with you because we don't you know the because we're not really it's not really profitable and then go tell Wall Street we're profitable earlier than we thought we were going to be and Netflix is six billion dollars in profits and like okay well who are you lying to what you know how where where can we where can we find the truth in there somewhere and i just you know i i can just say with such confidence what we are what we are asking for is so reasonable and i you know it, so yeah and I, I i know i'm speaking for thousands of writers who are out walking picket lines here and on the east coast and all over the country there's an international day this week where it's going to be all you know all of these countries all over the world kind of in solidarity with the writers guild we're frustrated we're angry that we're having to fight to prove our worth when everything starts with us that it, in and I don't say that and I just say that in the fact of the matter is it, is it starts with the script and then all the other talented people who contribute come on board but right. it starts with the script
0: okay we have run out of time this has been really really great we didn't even get to talk about ai that's a whole <laughs> other discussion maybe we can do that um but anyway, Danielle, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for my all pleasure. you're doing for the Writers Guild, because I know you're out there every day with your, yes. your lovely husband, Don. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I miss your dog as you do. He would be out there, right? Yoda Francois?
2: Yoda Francois. It's his birthday today. We miss you, buddy. I had a French
0: bulldog named Yoda Francois. It was one of my favorite dog names.
2: Yeah. Yoda, Yoda Fr- Francois, because he was French. We didn't want him to lose his French roots. So he was but Yoda he had Francois
0: so it's Star Wars because you're Peter a husband. okay thank you so much I will see you next week I will find out when you're out there I'll come find you
2: I would love that it's a pleasure to be here pleasure to talk to you I adore you you Back are a talent you. across every union and um,
0: <laughs> it was <laughs> lovely to talk to you okay uh, thank you Danielle I'll see you soon yes okay you've been listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack thank you Jeremiah Higgins producer Dr. D the engineer and we'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Jim Stack.
1: As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at JeremiahShow.com
0: or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram.
1: The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly.